And we're in this series called Upside. If you've missed any of it, don't worry. You can go back and catch it online. And uh, today we're in week three. We're really studying through the book of James. Every so often throughout the year, I like to take the church through. Let's just dive into a book. And my motive in that isn't just that we would study a book, but it, it would kind of encourage you towards your own personal study of God's word. You know, getting, getting God's word on Sunday isn't enough. Um, like if you only ate one meal a week, you'd be emaciated. The same thing will happen spiritually. If you only eat one time a week, it's not going to be good for your spiritual health. Um, so I want to, I hope to also not only teach God's word, but show you how to dive into the word of God. And so recap real quick. Um, the book of James is written by, all right, you're good students. Awesome. Good, good, good. James, you're like, if you're new, you should have got the answer on that one. James is written by James. Um, he's the half-brother of Jesus. Um, this, so you want to know when you're studying the Word of God, well, who's the author? When was it written? It was written about 12 to 15 years post-resurrection. So we're 12 to 15 years after the resurrection. Some say maybe even 18 years, but right in that range. Who is he writing to? He's writing um, to scattered Jews who have become Christians and are under a lot of persecution. So they're under immense pressure. They're really under persecution. Church leaders are getting murdered around this time. So the church is kind of under a whole lot of issues. And James also is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So he writes with a real pastor's heart. Um, and so that's, that's the context of what's happening. And in the middle of that, he writes the book of James. Um, and some scholars call it the Proverbs or the wisdom book of the New Testament. So he's giving you really practical tips for how to live under pressure how to live in, in extreme times, how to live when life isn't going your way. What are practical steps you can do for that? And so that's what we're looking at in the book. If you're with me, say amen. Any puzzle people in the house? Come on, every campus. Come on, Culpepper Stafford. Any puzzle people? Yeah, you like to do puzzles? I used to when I was a kid, not so much anymore. And my favorite puzzles were puzzles with like five pieces. Maybe 20. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, I'm an efficiency person. If you want to show me you love me, save me time. Like I'm, I, wanted, I don't like to waste time. Anybody, come on, anybody else in the house of God? I don't like to waste time. I want efficiency. So 20 pieces, I can knock the puzzle out. But how many of you know the one thing about puzzles is the more pieces you get, the smaller the pieces get, right? Like you got a puzzle piece of five they're like this big, right? Like you can see half of the picture in it. You know what I'm saying? It's not even fair. You get to a hundred pieces, they get a little smaller. You get to a thousand pieces, they get like this, right? And so you know how you do a good puzzle. You, um, this is a fancy box. Ones I had when kid, you had to cut along the edge. Come on, somebody remember that? All right. So the, the thing about a puzzle is you, you get it out and then you dump it all out, right? And then what do you look for? Come on, this is a smart church. <laughs> you look for the edges and you do the whole edge thing, right? And then you start filling in the middle, right? That's the way it works. But what you do is as you're doing that, you make sure that you want to have the, the picture up in front of you, right? Because when you got a thousand pieces, this all blue piece doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> Like, I don't even know where you fit, but if I got the picture, I know you're somewhere here down in the water. At least I know the quadrant you go in. Are you following me? And I think James is going to show us today is that sometimes this doesn't make sense. 
But if you live life looking at the bigger picture, then this will not only make sense, but this can turn into value. Because sometimes this represents pain. And if I don't know the bigger, bigger picture, God, I don't understand this piece. And sometimes this represents joy. And sometimes this represents kind of, man. And sometimes this represents what feels like everything moving our way. And sometimes this represents what feels like everything's not moving our way. And this is hard to understand if we don't get that it's fitting into a bigger picture. And in James chapter five, verse eight, we're going to read that first. And then we're going to back up and look at chapter four today because verse five, chapter five, verse eight, I think anchors us in what James wants us to understand this bigger picture. And it says this, you too, that's all y'all be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Can I say that last part with me? The Lord's coming is near. Let's do it again. Richmond was slow on the uptake. The Lord's coming is near. The Lord's coming is near. Here's what James is going to tell us today is that if you live your life for the earth, you're going to miss it. But if you live your life with an eternal perspective that there's a bigger picture going on, then earth will make sense. C.S. Lewis, the great philosopher, said it this way. He said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Think about that for a moment. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. In other words, if you aim at heaven, earth begins to make sense. But if all you do is aim at earth, then you miss both of them. Let me say it this way. If earth is all there is to your existence, this is the best it ever gets. Pain is the best it ever gets. Sickness is the best it ever gets. Racism is the best it ever gets. Divorce is the best it ever gets. If earth is all you're living for, what you can save is the best it ever gets. The car you can drive is the best it ever gets. But if you're living for heaven, then heaven is the best that it will ever get. Earth is just a moment. Earth is temporary. Earth is just here for a little while, but heaven is eternal. And James is going to show us, hey, God is coming back. The Lord is returning. This isn't what it's all about. This isn't the end of the story. This isn't the last chapter of your life. There is a long time ahead of us. And if you will live now through the lens of then, then now will make a lot more sense. And so in chapter four, he gives us four things that if we'll remember, it will help us live with an eternal perspective. Because how many of you know everything is pulling us to live for the here and now? Everything is pulling us to focus on the here and now. Everything is pulling us to make plans for the here and now. And I'm not saying plans are bad. You should plan. Don't just walk around aimlessly. You should prepare your life. I'm just saying that you shouldn't live through the lens of all of it is about now. You shouldn't live your life through the lens of what can I get? What can I keep? What can I make? That's not bad. But if that's the whole story, you're missing the bigger picture. 
So four things James tells us in chapter four that I think help keep us with an eternal perspective. Number one, write these down if you're a note taker or not. Write them down. Come on, everybody at Spotsy, get out a pen right now. Get your phone out right now, right now. <laughs> Number one, our time is short. The first thing James tells us is our time is short. Listen to what he says in chapter four. That's what we're gonna work out of today. And in verse 15 through 17, or I'm sorry, verse 13 through 14, he says, now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. In other words, we're making all these plans. We're going to this vacation. We're going to do this business deal. We're going to close this contract. He says, why, why? He says, why do you do that? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And then he asks this question, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In other words, he says, the entirety of your life is like a mist that comes out of a spray bottle. It's like, isn't that encouraging? Aren't you glad you came to church? Your entire existence is summed up in a mist that dries in the air, and then you're gone, and no one remembers you. I'm kidding. Like, here's what James is trying to tell us is this. How many of you remember when you were younger, like time felt forever? Like your parents tell you this summer we're going to the beach, and it may have been like January, and you're like, this is taking forever. My kids have two weeks left of school and then some exams, and it's like these two weeks are an eternity. Why are they taking so long? You're, you're following me? And then you get a little older, and you're like, two weeks, where'd that go? Yeah. Let's be honest. Where did the year go? <laughs> it's like everything got, like, accelerates and it moves so fast. It's like you waited forever to get to graduation. You waited forever to get to college. You waited forever to have the kid. Then you're like, oh, wow, they're 16. Where did those gears go? What, what James is trying to tell us is your life, it, it, it's like this. In light of eternity, it's this. It's a vapor. What he's trying to tell us is, is our time is short, so make the most of your time. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised the next day. He said your life, it's a, it's a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. It vanishes. It comes and it's good. I don't know. I'm not trying to rain on your parade or bring you down on a Sunday morning. What I'm just saying is that you don't know what happens tomorrow. In other words, live today in light of the bigger picture that my time is short. Live life today. If I remember, I'll live life in light of eternity. Let me, let me phrase it this way. Maybe this will help. How would you live life and what choices would you make if you knew I only had 30 days to live? If you knew for certain that you had 30 days to live, how would it change the way that you live? How would it change how you interact with people? If you only had 30 days to live would maybe what seemed to get you all bent out of shape, not get you all bent out of shape? If you only had 30 days to live, would maybe you offer the forgiveness that you've been withholding? If you only had 30 days to live, would maybe you hug family a little tighter, forgive a little more quickly? Would you maybe express love to those that need to feel your love? Would you maybe share the gospel with someone that needs to know the love of Jesus? Would maybe you be quicker to serve? Would maybe what seems so such a big deal not be such a big deal anymore if you lived in light of eternity that time is short and we should do now what really matters?
James says, your life's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. So don't get so tied to this earth stuff. Get tied to heaven stuff. Do what really matters. Number two, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Number two, our pursuit is God's purpose. If our time is short and I'm trying to keep my eye on eternity, then my pursuit's got to be God's purpose. Listen to what James says next in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Listen to this phrase. He says, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. James is like, if it's, it's even up to God whether or not I breathe. Are y'all tracking with me? And so the pursuit of my life is going to be the purpose of God in my life. He says, if it's the Lord's will, what you should say is if it's the Lord's will. In other words, what James is saying is my life is submitted to the will of God. He's not saying you shouldn't plan because elsewhere in scripture, it says that a man plans his ways, but then it says, but God orders his steps. In other words, it's okay to have a plan, but at the end of the day, I'm living for a bigger picture. I'm living in light of eternity. And so I'm going to go where God wants me to go. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to say what God wants me to say, because I don't have much time on this earth. My time is limited. My time is short. My life is but a vapor. And so I'm going to spend my life, invest my life. I'm going to spend my energy living for the purpose of God in my life. Why? Because I want my life to matter at the end of the day. And the Bible says the things that I do for me, whenever they're tested in fire, will burn up like hay and stubble. But the things I do for God will come through purified as of gold. I don't know about you. I don't want to get to the end of my life and be left with ashes because it was all about me. I want to get to the end of my life and have gold that is purified because it was for the glory of God. I lived in light of eternity. Are you following me? My dad, when he was alive, would say this. At the end of so many things, he would say he was going to do. And at first I thought, it's just like preacher talk, like a preacher phrase. But he would say all the time about doing something. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, the Lord willing. And we grew up in Tennessee. He grew up in South Carolina. I don't even know how you spell willing. Lord willing. But I knew what he's saying. It didn't make sense when I was young. It makes sense now. What he was saying is, I got some thoughts about what I'm going to do. But a long time ago, I submitted and surrendered my life to the purpose of God. And I may have a plan, but God has a purpose. And if those come in conflict, the purpose of God will win out every time. I'm living for a bigger picture. Number three, our blessings are meant to bless. Our blessings that we receive are meant to bless. Listen to what James says. Now, James goes really strong in the language here. And um, I'm your pastor. I'm your friend. I love you. These aren't my words. They're the Bible's words. So <laughs> James chapter five, verse one says, now listen, you rich people. Now, some of you just excluded yourself. 
You're like, I'm not the rich people. I can check Instagram during this point of the message. But if you earn, you know, more than $40,000 a year, you're in the top 2% income earners in the world. So all you rich people, you know, how I'll tell you, you know how you know you're rich because you build houses for your cars to stay in at night. They're called garages. I'll tell you another indicator. If you're still confused that, you know, you're rich, you'll walk into a closet full of clothes and say, I have nothing to wear. You may have heard of these rich people. They're so rich. They have a fridge in their house and one in the garage because they have so much food. They can't put it in one fridge because that's what rich people do. So let's go back to the text. Now listen, you rich people. Now that we've determined who you are. Rich people, they spend $5 on a cup of coffee. That's what rich people do. And they say things like, flat white ristretto shots, hold the cream. I don't even know what they're saying. They're speaking in tongues for all I know. But that's what rich people do. So now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Welcome to church. Your wealth, I'll give you context in a minute. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Yeah. (laughs) You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Pastor, you're so encouraging today. This is a great day to bring my friend to church. (laughs) Invited him for the first time. here's, Here's what James is saying, is I blessed you. God says, I blessed you. I blessed you with more than you need. Evidently, you had enough for self-indulgence. And you kept it all for you. Not only that, you were actually crooked in your business dealings because people worked for you and you didn't pay them the wage they were due. Here's what he's saying. Is that you lived because earth was all it was about to you. It's all about here and now. And if earth is all it is about, then you have a hard time living a generous life because it's all about earth. It's all about what I can get and keep and hoard and make and buy and mine. You'll never live open-handed. You never live that I've been blessed to be a blessing. If it's all about earth, if it's all about heaven, then I'm not storing treasures here. And listen to me, every campus, I'm not saying don't prepare, don't have savings. You should, you should have an emergency fund. You should be putting away for retirement. You shouldn't depend on all those kind. You should be living wise stewards. The Bible talks a lot about that, a lot. 
2,000 verses actually about it, if you wanna know technically. But what I'm saying is it's not all about that. I'm living open-handed. I've been blessed to be a blessing. I've been given to so I can give, not so I can self-indulge, not so I can see how little can I give someone for what they do. No, I'm gonna live generous, big-hearted, big-minded, big-spirited, open-handed. I've been blessed to be a blessing. And then final thought is this, as James tells us this, that our lives here are temporary. It's temporary. In light of eternity, our 70, 80, however many years God gives you, we obsess about this? James says, don't do it, it's temporary. The next verse he says to us, be patient then brothers and sisters. This is where we started. You'll see in a second, until the Lord's coming, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn springs. You too, be patient, stand firm, why? Because the Lord's coming is what? It's near. In other words, what James is saying is, There's a bigger picture, it's called eternity. And so stand firm and live in light of that because pressures are coming, joys are coming and hard times and mountains are coming and valleys are coming. But in the middle of all that, live for a bigger picture. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter three. He said, since then you've been raised with Christ. In other words, you've asked Jesus to come into your life, set your hearts on things. What everybody, every location say it, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. In other words, set your heart on heaven. Don't set your heart on this earth. Don't set your heart on, people say that phrase, my heart is set on getting that house. My heart is setting on that car. My heart is setting on that getting in that college. My heart is setting on that. No, no, don't set your heart on those things. They will fail you every time. One day the house will burn down and one day the choir will quit running and one day the degree won't matter anymore. One day all will matter is what did I do with Jesus? So set my heart on things above. And if I'll do that, if I'll do that, the divorce didn't make sense why I had to go through that. And and the layoff didn't make sense why I had to go through that. And when my kid lost their mind, it didn't make sense. I didn't understand the little puzzle piece. And when I got to go on and I got that opportunity, I didn't understand why God blessed me in that way. But one day when I see the bigger picture, I'll go, oh, it all made sense. It was all about him. It was all about his glory. It was all about my life being poured out for the glory of God and for the good of those around me. I lived my life in light of eternity. If this is what it's all about, earth, then live it up because it's as good as it'll ever get because the alternative is horrible. If earth is all you're living for, then live it up. Do it right. Because eternity for you will be painful and horrible. 
but if heaven is what you're living for, then Paul said these light and momentary suffering, that's what he called them. What suffering are you talking about, Paul? Being shipwrecked, being snake bit, being in prison, being stoned half to death. These light and momentary trials. <laughs> Why could Paul call them light and momentary? Because he wasn't living for this earth. It wasn't his home. He said, will be far outweighed by the glory that is, what was he talking about? He goes, they won't even matter to me the moment I stand before Jesus. You know what Paul was saying? I'm not living for here and now. I'm living for a bigger picture. I'm living for a bigger picture. So church, set your heart. I'll set it on things above and live for the bigger picture. Do you receive the word today? If you would bow your head, close your eyes, every location, if you can, if you're watching online, if you're driving, keep your eyes wide open. Some of you, my concern is that you're not ready for the day that you do stand before God. And I want you to be ready. Man, I so want you to be ready. And I want you to know that it's not about how good you behave or how many religious boxes you've checked that'll make you ready for that day. It's what you do with Jesus. At the end of the day, it's one question that I believe God will ask you. What did you do with my son, Jesus? Did you trust him and him alone for forgiveness of sin? Not your best effort, not your good works. Did you trust his finished work on the cross? See, the Bible says that we've all sinned and we've come up short. And that's all of us, we're all in that boat. It says the wages of that sin is death. That, that's eternal separation from God. That means for you, earth is as good as it'll ever get. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life. And it's found only in Jesus. There's only one way to heaven, it's through Jesus. And he says, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, he's in control of all things of your life, you stop doing life your way, you're gonna do it his way. If you believe in your heart that he's Lord, and if you confess that with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that's the resurrection, what we celebrated at Easter, that he is alive, proving that he's God, then you will be saved. It's not, a, not my promise, it's God's promise to you. And so in just a moment, we're gonna to pray together at every location. No one's looking around, just me and your campus pastor. But if you say, pastor, that's me, I, I wanna know, I don't have confidence in that. I wanna know that I've placed my faith in Jesus. To, I, I need a new start today. Then before we pray, I'm gonna to count to three. I just want you to shoot your hand up. I believe that's just your act of faith going, that's me today. I'm saying yes today. And then we're gonna to pray together. So on three at every location, if you would just shoot your hand up. No one looking around, we're not gonna embarrass you. No one's gonna to come to you or point you out. Just wanna know who I'm praying with. So at every location, you just, when I count to three, you shoot it up. This is your moment. One, two, three, you shoot your hand up high. God bless you. God bless you. You can put it down. Church, let's pray this together out loud for the benefit of those who just slipped their hand up. Say, Jesus, I need you. 
I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. Today, I make you my Lord and Savior. Thank you for a brand new beginning. In Jesus' name, everybody said a big amen. Come on, let's celebrate those at every campus. Incredible.